We're going to spend some time studying the Bible now, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and pull that out. A couple of little housekeeping items. Uh, one, they already mentioned, we'll, we'll meet at the glass doors in this room. Don't go to the back building yet until we take you all over there, because they're going to be like turning over the, the room, you know, setting up chairs and moving stuff around for the luncheon. So if you're staying for the uh, Natalie Rocco Guatemala luncheon, just, let's just meet by these glass doors in this room. And then we'll head over. I'll, I'll pray for us and then take us across when they're ready. Um, also, it's our birthday as a church. It's our church birthday yesterday, officially. Yeah. 16 years old as a church, which is amazing. That means I must be pretty old now. I've got a teenager church. Uh, so we're just so thankful. Thankful for all of you and the ways that you've partnered with us over the years. Grace Bible Church is not this thing that exists apart from you. You are Grace Bible Church. We're thankful for you. We're thankful for your giving, for your ministry, for your kindness to your neighbors, for the way that you love Jesus and love those around you. We're thankful for the thousands of others that have come before you as well and laid the foundation. So we want to just give praise to God for what he's done here because of his grace, not because of anything we've done, but really because of his kindness to us in Jesus. So give a hand to Grace Bible Church. Thank you. And one more little minor thing, we're working on a new recipe for the communion bread for afterwards. So this is allergy-free bread. We have a little label. I think it's, we've hit like all the major food allergies. I have a friend that, that says that means it's fun-free if it's allergy-free, but we tried it and it's really quite good. So you can let me know, but that, that should be helpful for you. We've got allergy-free bread uh, for communion today. Okay, we're going to look at the, the Bible together. So if you have a Bible, pull it out. We're in uh, Proverbs, the book of Proverbs. If you crack open your Bible to the middle, it's, it's very close to the middle. Uh, if you grab one of the black Bibles under the chairs, we should be around page 530, 531. We're looking at the end of chapter 6 and the beginning of chapter 7. We've subtitled our Proverbs series, Scandalous Wisdom. And the big idea is that as we follow Jesus and we listen to his voice, we walk with Jesus, we obey Jesus, that's scandalous. That's just kind of weird in our culture. But that's a good thing. Um, It's not always a bad thing to be weird. You don't want to be weird on purpose, right? But we do want to follow Jesus. And as we follow Jesus, we're going to have grace to give to others. It's going to be sweet. There's going to be reward there. Even if we might uh, be seen as strange or might be seen as odd, there's real blessings in following him and walking with him. And want to encourage you and all of us together to follow Jesus together. So we listen to his word in the book of Proverbs. As we turn the corner from chapter 6 into chapter 7, we've got two essays side by side uh, that are mirrors of each other. They say much the same thing, and we're we're making the title for the sermon, uh, The Faithfulness of God, the drama, specifically the drama of faithfulness. And so what we see here is a little snapshot of this emphasis on specifically marital faithfulness in Proverbs, But we have to step back as we look at this in Proverbs, and if you're me studying it week after week, you're going, why does the author of Proverbs seem to be so obsessed with marital relationships? Like, what's this about? Why why is he obsessed with it? And when we step back and look at the whole Bible, we recognize that the entire Bible is a drama of faithfulness. It's a drama of God's faithfulness to us. It's a story about God's kindness to us, his love for us. Again and again, we see that the scripture tells us that God is like our husband and we are his bride and he loves us dearly and he sacrifices for us and he loves us perfectly. The story in the scripture is that even with his perfect faithfulness as the perfect husband, we've still rejected his love. We've still turned from him. We've rejected him. We've run away from God and yet he pursues us. And so the good news of the gospel is that Jesus loved us so much that he came after us. He took our sin 
He took our struggle. He suffered like we have. He died on the cross as a sacrifice for us. He rose from the grave, proving that he really did defeat sin and death once and for all. And so not only was he a faithful husband first go round, but he's this extra kind of gracious faithfulness that comes after us when we run away from him. He loves us. He pursues us. He rebuilds us. He redeems us. And this story is played out in a prophecy. I want to mention this prophecy to you. encourage you to go read it on your own time. It's about 14, 15 chapters in the Old Testament. It's the prophecy of Hosea. So before we look at Proverbs 6 and 7, let's think about Hosea for a minute. Anybody read Hosea before? It's one of the most scandalous books in the whole Bible. It's an upsetting book, really, because here we have a holy man of God. We have a prophet who's told to pursue and to love an adulterous woman. He's told to marry this adulterous woman. He's told to not just proclaim the truth of God, but to live it out as a real drama before the eyes of God's people so that they would see just the relentless love that God has for us. He keeps pursuing us. He keeps chasing us with his kindness. He woos us. He loves us. He serves us. He redeems us. In the book of Hosea, we see Hosea marrying this woman, and then she leaves him, and then she leaves him again, and she ends up being sold into slavery because of her unfaithfulness, and he goes after her, and he redeems her, and he buys her back, and he brings her back to himself. This is a prophecy of God's love for his people, for us, and it's only truly fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So why does Proverbs keep talking about marriage, unfaithfulness, things like this? Well, it's because God has said it points us to a bigger reality, that God really loves us. No matter how much you've failed him, no matter how much I've failed him, God comes after us. He forgives us. He pursues us. Now, before we read the text, I want you to know I've been praying for you and praying for myself desperately this week because this is a hard text. Uh, Some of you have been hurt. You've been betrayed. Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was somebody you worked for. We've all been betrayed in different ways. And so this can stir up some of those hard feelings. What I want to try to steer our hearts back to is the reality that, yeah, we might have been hurt, but ultimately we want to think about how we've hurt God. We've committed cosmic betrayal. We've been unfaithful, yet he continues to be faithful to us. And I want to make that the center of our time as we reflect on some of these passages today. So we'll read starting in chapter 6, verse 20. I'm going to read a little bit kind of just to get us started, and then we'll read the rest of this section as we move through the sermon. Chapter 6, verse 20. My son, keep your father's commandment. Forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. We're told here that God's word is ultimately what's going to protect us, what's going to be our friend, what's going to walk with us, what's going to look over us, and we're to look beyond the word itself as a separate object. We're to look to the person of God himself, to Jesus, and recognize, man, in a world where I don't feel like I can count on anybody, I can count on Jesus. And as I count on Jesus, as I trust in him, that's going to make me able to forgive, love, serve, and be faithful to the people that God has put me in relationship with. 
So I want to pray for us, because as I said, this is a hard topic. Um, Proverbs, I'm sure there's going to be many more difficult, awkward topics, but we trust that God has a gift for us in it, so we're going to ask that His Spirit would help us to hear it. Lord, we pray for this time as we soak in Your Word and listen to Your Word and study Your Word, that Your Spirit would meet with us. We pray that Your Spirit would soften our hearts and help us to just relax and hear You speaking to us, um, that You are kind that you love us. You've proven that in Jesus. And so, Lord, because of the hope we have in in the good news of Jesus, it it enables us to to sit and listen and pay attention to tough things. So help us now. Be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, as we move through the text, again, I'm saying that this is about the drama of faithfulness. This is not just about faithfulness or lack of in our ordinary earthly relationships. This is pointing us to something bigger. This is pointing us to God. And so the outline basically will have the, the drama of God's faithfulness to us, and then it's going to be contrasted with unfaithfulness and the struggle we have with human relationships. With So I was talking through with the German interns this week. Uh, in most of the headings of this chapter, it says a warning against the adulterous woman. I don't know if you've seen that, adulterous woman. Um, and we use adultery to talk about the breaking of a marriage. But as I was talking to what the Germans about, they kept saying the breaking of the marriage, the breaking of the marriage, the breaking of the marriage. And I realized there was like a translation thing happening there that was helpful for me. Like, yeah, that's what this is about. The word adultery we use, it, it means the breaking of a marriage, but it's kind of like an abstract word. You know, it's just like this junk drawer term. But, but this is about either faithfulness or unfaithfulness. A God who is faithful to us enables us to not be unfaithful or to forgive unfaithfulness and move on to repair and redeem and resurrect something that is broken. And so we see that in the outline, right? We've got this Pay attention to God, and then watch out for unfaithfulness. Pay attention to God, watch out for unfaithfulness. Uh, a little housekeeping option or uh, item for looking at the text is, is to just recognize it talks a lot to young men warning them about unfaithful women. And I just want to clarify, that is the first audience, teenage boys. Again and again, it uses these motifs of watch out for the bad woman, you want to join yourself to a good woman, right? And then it even uses this metaphors for God's word. There's either the woman of folly and stupidity and ignorance, or there's the woman of God's word, wisdom, truth, right? So this woman analogy is used again and again. I just want to be clear, women, we don't think women are the enemy, right? Uh, certain kinds of women can be, and that's clear in the text, but it's not about all women, right? So the first audience is young men, Watch out for these kinds of women, but this can be applied to anybody, right? Second audience is is teenage women. Third audience is adult and children, men and women. It applies to all of us. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for us, for teaching, rebuking, for training in righteousness. We believe that about God's Word. We just want to recognize poetically, it starts off with talking to teenage boys, and then we can apply it to all relationships. And the New Testament spins this out very clearly in the language in 1 Corinthians 7 that talks about marriage relationships. It, it flips it back and forth, right? Husbands, wives, both sides. We're called to be faithful because God's been faithful to us. So the outline will be this, simple outline. Faithfulness to God is the root, number one. That's the root. Faithfulness to God is the root. Number two, faithfulness prevents a lot of pain. Faithfulness prevents a lot of pain. He's going to talk about the pain that comes when we break these relationships. And then number three, faithfulness is not accidental. Faithfulness is not accidental. You cannot coast into faithfulness. He's going to say at the end, it's the simple that fall into unfaithfulness. We've got to be aware. We can't coast. It's, it's not accidental. Okay, number one, faithfulness to God is the root. Faithfulness to God 
is the root. We see this in verses 20 through 24 that I already read, and then we also see it in the introduction to the second essay, which I said is kind of a parallel to the first essay, chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. So looking again at verses 20 through 24, my son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. So this is language we keep seeing in Proverbs. I hope you see the desperation. I hope the repetition is helping this sink in. Um, We need God's word. We need to be faithful to God's word because faithfulness to God is the root and the foundation for everything else that happens in our life. And so it's using this language of binding and gripping and grabbing hold of verse 22. If you do this, when you walk, they will lead you. God's word will lead you, he says. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. It's a personification again of God's wisdom. It's like the beautiful woman that we should be in love with is God's word, is really God himself, a relationship with God. He will watch over us. He will talk with us. He will lead us. Verse 23, the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. He's saying it's going to show us where to go. It's going to guide us. It's going to lead us. He says in verse 24, to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. So what does this say? It's saying that God's word is the root. It's going gonna, it's gonna to protect us. It's going to lead to health in our life. And then we see the same thing really paralleled in chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. So skip down to the beginning of chapter 7, verse 1. It says, my son, keep my words. Treasure up my commandments within you, right? It's the same desperation, this, this honoring of God's truth. Verse 2, keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. What, what is that? It's like a... It's kind of a metaphorical word for the pupil, for the focus, the what are you what are you really looking at? What are you desiring, right? What's the twinkle in your eye? What's the focus of your eye? It should be God's word. Bind them on your fingers. It says in verse 3, write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend. It's God's word, your best friend. And again, more than this, it's pointing us to God, right? Who is God's word? God's word is Jesus. Jesus is the word made flesh. Who is your best friend? At an earthly sense, our spouse should be our best friend. Our battle buddy should be our best friend. You know, the people that we have as earthly friendships should be close friends, but God, Jesus himself should be our ultimate best friend, our closest friend, the only one that never lets us down. And if that relationship is intact, that's going to lead to flourishing in our other relationships. That's going to enable us to be faithful to others, to forgive others. All of this, he says, to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with their smooth words. This other attraction of thinking, oh, I'll find find life, I'll find health over there. He says, no, you find health in Jesus. You put your roots down into Jesus. Jesus uses this language again and again of, of what's the the fruit of your life. And if you're bearing good fruit, it's because you've got good roots tapped down into the only one that is good, and that's God. Psalm 1 says we tap our roots down into God's Word. Jeremiah 17, we tap our roots down into God's Word. What are your roots? What are my roots tapped into? Are are our roots tapped into success or money or pleasure? Avoiding pain? What, what, What do we tap our roots into? This is a struggle. Every day we have to decide, no, I'm, I'm not going to look out there for the answers. I'm going to look to God and His Word. I've been walking with Jesus for 32 years, I think. I came to Christ as a young adult. 
I'm an older adult now. I've been walking with Jesus for a long time, and this is still an everyday choice that I make. No, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. The answers aren't on a screen. The answers aren't in money. The answers aren't in pleasure. The answer is in Jesus. And I have to continue to tap my roots down deep into Jesus. Faithfulness to God is the root. And I want to clarify something here as well. There's a, there's a dynamic of commandment, of law that gets emphasized in Proverbs, right? And we can say as we look back at the Old Testament, the law of God, his, his standards, his holiness is, is definitely stronger in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's a little easier to see God's grace and his forgiveness. But both things are reality of God's word and God's presence in our life. The reformers and Protestant Christians in general like to maintain a clear distinction between law and gospel. It's an important thing to have clear in your head, but it's also a cycle in our life, right? Law is God's commandment. God says, do this. If you do it, things will be good. If you don't do it, things will break, right? That's God's moral commandments. The same in the Old Testament as they are in the New. The ceremonies have changed. The rituals have changed. But God's moral standards are the same. And God says, pay attention to my moral standards. It's really important. But guess what we've done? You and me, we've all broken those moral standards. We've, we've all been unfaithful in different ways. And so that's why part of the difficulty of the sermon is for us to not keep looking at that person that hurt us, but to look inward at ourselves. David says it this way in Psalm 51, after he'd committed the most atrocious crimes. He'd committed adultery. He'd murdered one of his best friends to cover up the adultery. It was horrible, right? The son of that relationship is writing the book we're reading right now. And David in Psalm 51 is confessing his sin to God, and he says, it's against you and you only have I sinned, O God. What is he saying? He's saying that our faithfulness or unfaithfulness to God is the root of everything else. He's not denying the reality of the sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. That, that's real sin. So when he's saying that, this is poetic language. He's saying, ultimately, the root of everything else is this gap between me and God. God, I've betrayed you. But God, you are faithful. You forgive me. Thank you, God. Psalm 51 is beautiful. It's incredible literature, incredible poetry. I encourage you to go back and read it during the week. There we say, again, faithfulness to God is the root. So for me and for you, if something goes wrong in our life, it's like, what did they do? What did they do? What did they do? And, and we need to confront that, right? If someone's hurt you, you need to tell them, you need to work through that. But we also really, at the root, need to work through. God's faithfulness to us is the answer. And so the way that law and gospel work together is law is I've broken the commandment. What is gospel? God has forgiven me. And so we're walking along. We break commandments. We've, we violate our own standards. We're horrified. I can't believe I've done this. Who am I? What have I done? And we confess before God, I'm a sinner. But God, you forgive. You are my only hope. You give me grace through Jesus. You've taken my sin upon yourself on the cross. You've died for me. You've risen from the dead for me. And so I now have a new identity. You see me as forgiven. You see me as hidden in Christ. You see me as delightful. God sees you if you trust in Jesus as beautiful, as acceptable, as delightful. He loves you. 
in Christ. So what does that do? That frees us to get up and brush ourselves off and start following Jesus again. And so law and gospel, it's a cycle in our life. We want to obey his law. We fail. He forgives us. We get up. We continue to obey him. So we're growing in obedience. And and so as we see the Psalms, we see this emphasis on law. We see this emphasis on obedience. And we don't want to skip that. But we also want to connect it to the whole story and say it's only empowered by God's grace to us. Only because of that that we can keep going and continue to trust him. Faithfulness to God is the root. And really, when I say faithfulness to God is the root, what I mean is digging our roots down into his gracious faithfulness to us. He forgives me. I can keep going. I can keep going. I can trust him and walk with him. So what does this look like to you? I'd I'd ask a specific question here. What are some spiritual practices that help remind you of God's endless gracious faithfulness to you? Have you ever tried a spiritual practice? Praying, reading the Bible, singing the Bible, crying the Bible, lamenting the Bible. Have you found spiritual practices where you can memorize Scripture, look at Scripture, study Scripture in a a Bible study, joining a group with other people where you can can begin to grapple with it and grow in this reminder that, man, God loves me. I've failed. Other people have failed, but but Jesus loves us. We We can move forward. We can redeem what's broken. You need to cultivate those spiritual practices in your life. Reading the Bible, obeying the Bible, singing it, praying it, lamenting it, grieving it. And I'd say, One more practice as we dig our roots into his word, into his law, into his commandments. One more practice besides soaking in the scripture is actually beginning to speak the scripture to others around us. We're in a strange time in culture, I think, where we're being pressured more and more to just keep our mouth shut about the truth. Um, I I wrestle with this a lot myself. My own personality is one that uh, I I speak for a living, right? So I want to say things in a way that's as as uh, unoffensive, as inoffensive as possible, which I think is fair, right? We don't want to be purposefully offensive. We don't want to be purposefully scandalous. But I think more and more what I'm realizing is we're kind of getting boxed into a corner where we're told if we speak God's word at all, we're going to offend people. And we, we have to keep saying it. We have to say what the truth is. And so we want to be kind and we want to be gracious. We want to pray that God would give us ways to show grace and show kindness to people. But we also can't be cornered into saying, well, I won't say anything because I know I'm going to offend people. Because our, our goal can't be never offending people. Our goal must be being faithful to God's word. And so this is, a, I've been emphasizing the personal, right? Like the personal practices of, of loving and reading and studying and memorizing God's word. But also there's a kind of a public social aspect of this as well, where, where we speak up for what is true. We say this is right and this is wrong. And obviously you, we need the Holy Spirit to do that in a, in a non-idiotic way. But we just recognize that there's no way to speak of God's word and, and not offend anybody. We have to be faithful to God's word. Okay, the second point is that faithfulness prevents a lot of pain. This is where he starts to get into kind of the mechanics of, of this bad relationship. Again, talking to the teenage boys, you're heading into a relationship, avoid this kind of relationship. He picks it up in verse 24. So faithfulness prevents a lot of pain. Verses 24 through 35. Verse 24 says, if we pay attention to God's word, it'll preserve us from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Again, smooth tongue, we saw this a couple of weeks ago in Proverbs chapter 5. It's always attractive. Sin always looks good. It always looks sweet. It often feels sweet, feels good when we first experience as well. Um, It's not an immediate lightning bolt that we get when we sin, 
uh, it's often this slow burn, the slow poison. It begins to disintegrate us. It begins to tear at our soul over time. Here we're going to see it as a warning. Watch out, it will hurt you. Verse 25, do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. Um, now this might sound weird. It's not like a Venus fly trap where she will literally grab hold of you with her monster eyelashes, right? I think what this is talking about is the internal heart desire, right? Like your heart desires wrong things. And then the external like, ooh, that's beautiful, right? We see things on the outside that are attractive to us and we feel things on the inside that are attractive to us. And so I think this proverb is talking about there's this internal external battle we'll come back to that at at the end of this section but let me move on to the rest of these verses verse 26 says for the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread but a married woman hunts down a precious life can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned no that's the answer no he goes on and says, or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? I know there's this thing where people walk on coal, but I'm not going to talk about that today, okay? We don't have time for that. Um, generally, fire hurts people, okay? That should just be the way you live your life, fire bad. Verse 29, so as he who goes into his neighbor's wife, none who touches her will go unpunished. People don't despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he's hungry. Do you hear what he's saying there? He's like, you could probably be forgiven if you were desperate and having a bad day or you were really hungry, right? You do a bad thing and you like have this need. People are like, oh man, it's cool. But he's like, that's not, that's not how this is going to go down though. Verse 31, but if he's caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor and his disgrace will not be wiped away. What is he saying here? There's a, there's a social disruption Sins will not be wiped away. It doesn't mean that sins are unforgivable, that they're like these certain unforgivable sins. All sins are forgivable at the foot of Jesus' cross. But he's saying, man, there's, there's stuff here that that, that jealous husband is, just, is not going to just say it's cool. I've wiped away the sins, no big deal, right? There's going to be hell to pay. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. You'll try to make it right, and it'll be really hard to make it right. The only way you can make this kind of thing right is the supernatural grace of God intervening in your life. But socially, it's going to cause much pain. Socially, it's going to cause much disruption. You're going to regret it. Again, when we engage in sin, we often say, oh, my parents said not to sin, and I've sinned, and it was fun. I enjoyed that. I guess they're wrong, right? But it builds up over time. It it tears at us. It, It breaks us down. I grabbed a picture of burning coals because that's the the pain image that he wants us to see here. Uh, We were just grilling Friday night. We had a little rain. Things were cooler. My wife was like, hey, you want to grill some steaks? I was like, yes. I haven't done it in like three months because it's been so hot. So I got some coals on the grill, you know, and I'm moving the coals around with the tongs. And I've got like these long tongs, right? But even just getting my hand that close to the tongs, I'm still having like the hairs on my knuckles burn off, right? Because the coals are hot, and if they're that hot when I'm using the, tong- the tongs, what's it going to be like if I just scoop up those burning coals and hold them against my chest? What's going to happen? It's going to hurt. It's going to burn me. There will be serious injury. And that's what he's trying to say here. You can prevent a lot of pain by just being faithful, remaining faithful, not running with the unfaithful, but being 
faithful. So the application verse I, I mentioned earlier was verse 25. Don't desire her beauty in your heart and don't let her capture you with her eyelashes. So that's the heart thing, internal. And then we've got the eyelashes, which is weird image, right? But it's just external, things that are attractive, right? So we've got heart things and external things that we have to deal with. So if we're going to try to be faithful, we have to work on those two sides of the coin, so to speak. Temptations to unfaithfulness that come at us from the inside and from the outside. Now, I think going back to point one is, is always good, right? We go back to God's word. We remind ourselves of the faithfulness of God, and that motivates us, right? There, there's this warning of, you know, there's blessings and obedience. There's curses and disobedience. We don't want to forget that. But we also continue to go back to the good news of Jesus. Jesus loves me. I'm going to wake up tomorrow and forget that. And I'm going to have to remind myself that. I'm going to need you to remind me of that. Jesus loves us. Look at what he did for us. And that's going to remind me that I can trust him and I'm going to get up and follow him again. And I'm going to be ready to do battle with the temptations that come at me, temptations for unfaithfulness. So one is dealing with the heart. Don't desire her beauty in your heart. Uh, This word can be translated covet. Have you ever heard that word before, covet? It's like Old Testament language for desiring something that God has said is out of bounds for you. It's the 10th commandment. Don't desire or covet anything that's not for you, right? We have a whole statement on marriage and sexuality in our constitution. We put copies of it on the back table. Um, So there are clear boundaries that the Bible gives. Our culture thinks those boundaries are crazy, but God gives boundaries and says, don't desire this. It's okay to desire that, but you can't desire this. God gives those boundaries, And the only reason we trust God's boundaries is because we trust God, right? We don't say, well, you know, there's been a vote and we've decided on what the boundaries are. No, we we trust what God says because we trust God. And so he says, don't desire that. And we say, okay, and I've got to work on those heart issues. I do think it's helpful when you do desire something that you know you're not supposed to desire to not immediately hate yourself for that, right? I'm getting a little bit into the realm of psychology here. If you notice something that looks beautiful and then you realize, oh, that's not for me, I think it's much more helpful to pray about that and talk about that with God and say, God, you've made something beautiful. If that's a person and that person's not for you, God, you've made a beautiful person. It's not for me. She's not for me. He's not for me. That's not for me. I praise you, God. You're the giver of all good gifts. And that person is probably blessing someone else in some kind of relationship, but that's not for me. Instead of just saying, I desire the thing I'm not supposed to desire. I'm evil. I hate myself, right? Say, no, God, you give good gifts. That's not for me. You you talk through the truth of it, affirming his goodness, saying, God, glorify yourself through that beautiful thing. It might not even be something he made directly, right? Maybe not a person. Maybe it's a new truck. I see a new truck. I'm like, oh, God, I want that truck, right? It's not for me. I cannot hotwire that truck. I cannot steal that truck. (laughs) And so I say, okay, God, That's not for me right now. Maybe in the future that would be for me, but right now that's not for me, right? Paying for the third kid to get through college, that's for me right now. Maybe a truck later. So I say, God, you give good gifts. That's a beautiful, shiny truck. Praise God for that. I hope it blesses other people. I hope it glorifies you, right? And so we can talk through those things that we desire in our heart instead of just like saying, I'm evil, I hate myself, saying, God, that's that's a good thing. I desire that. I recognize I shouldn't be desiring that, but I, I acknowledge you made that. You gifted that to someone, and that's a good gift. I hope that's helpful to you. Give glory to God. And then the eyelash capturing thing. Um, don't let her eyelashes capture you, right? What, what is this saying? 
this is really just the image. You know, you might see someone that has a, gives you a beautiful look. And that's attractive to you. That's an external temptation. That's really what it's getting at here. I think generally speaking, stereotypically, men are typically more tempted visually with things they see. Women are generally more tempted through relationship. But we all know people that are, you know, outside that and temptations come in every form, right? So we kind of got these stereotypes, but we're all tempted by different things. There's things that we find attractive, right? It might be the way someone looks, It might be the way someone pays attention to you. It might be the way someone is thoughtful towards you. And what it's saying is don't let that, whatever that external beautiful thing is, don't let it put its hooks in you. So if you find yourself being attracted and tempted by this relationship of, oh, I can can relate to this person. This person understands me, right? You you say, okay, I I see that's putting its hooks in me. And I've got to cut that off. I've got to run to Jesus, run from this temptation and ask for help and ask God to, to walk through that with me. It might be avoiding that situation. We've talked about internet filters. We've talked about passwords. It, it might be trans, more transparency in your life. It might be more sharing honestly with the people that God has put in your life. Every Sunday we do confession of sin together where we confess we're all sinners. That's what unites us. And we're all loved by Jesus. That also unites us. As we go through the motions of that, confessing our sins one to another, praying for each other that we may be healed, we're developing uh, these kind of guardrails in our life that are helping to center us back on Jesus. Don't allow that hook to be set into your life. Okay, last point, faithfulness is not accidental. Faithfulness is not accidental. We see this in chapter 7, verses 6 through 27. Um, He's going to talk about the simple, the stupid, who wander into unfaithfulness. And so his point here is you don't just accidentally live a faithful life. You've got a purpose. There's got to be a sense of of beware, of be on alert. So picking up in verse 5, he says again, maintaining faithfulness to God's word will keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress, with her smooth, smooth, attractive words. Verse 6, for at the window of my house, I've looked out through my lattice. I've seen among the simple, again, translation, the stupid or the naive. I've seen, perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense. Now, I don't want to commit ageism here, but I think generally the Bible would say there is a little more naivety among the young than the old. But us old can be naive as well, right? And so we, we look back at the faithfulness of God and say, I need him to purposefully help me to be faithful, so I don't just accidentally wander into stupidity. So we see, at the window of my house, I see the youth, I see the simple, a young man lacking sense, verse 8, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house, in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart, she's loud and wayward, her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, in every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I've paid my vows. What what does that mean? She's gone through the motions of public worship, through a festival, through sacrifices. That means typically it's like a big fellowship meal. They would have extra leftover food. Think of like a big festival, right? Like we had a Christmas party. I've got a ton of food. Come on over, right? It's this kind of uh, environment. Uh, She's pretending to be a part of the covenant people of God or thinking she's a part of the covenant people of God and inviting him in to enjoy in the overflow from the vows and sacrifices that have been made. 
So now I've come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly. I've found you. I've spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. People still use like Egyptian bedsheets today too, don't they? Isn't that a thing? Okay. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband's not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he'll come home. So there's time, plenty of time. We won't get caught. Verse 21, with much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. I hope you see this. You see all of these enticements. We've got food. We've got perfume. We've got soft linens. We've got a nice couch. We've got a nice bed. You won't get caught. Everything is going to be awesome, right? And then the story, the story turns here. Do you see the turn? All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. He's saying here, when we're entering into immorality, when we're running headlong to unfaithfulness, I've said this before, in our actual experience, we're like, I didn't get caught. That was fun. That was awesome. But he's saying there's a spiritual reality happening. Your throat is getting slit. There's something dramatic and horrible taking place here. You can't just accidentally walk along and fall into faithfulness. You've got to beware and watch out for the butcher with the knife, for the arrow that's coming at your liver, for the trap that's being set for you like a bird rushes into a snare, not knowing it will cost his life. He's saying, beware, watch out. There's something dangerous going on. I was trying to find a, a picture of an ox getting slaughtered for you because I thought you would enjoy seeing that. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't find that, but I did find a wiki how on how to slaughter cattle. So if you're interested, um, there's a whole like, explanation with slides and everything. I now know how to slaughter cattle. If you have some, invite me over. I think I can do the I don't know. I'm pretty squeamish. I'm not sure if I could pull it off, but I know how, at least in my brain. And the idea here, the illustration is the, the animal doesn't know it's, it's going to be killed. It just sneaks up on the animal. The animal's just cruising along, right? I don't know if you've seen it in cattle. They'll put them down this long hallway towards the slaughterhouse. Um, or it's like a stag being hunted. It doesn't know what's happening to itself. Do we want to be a dumb beast just accidentally cruising along? Or do we want to be human beings made in the image of God, being aware being alert, being careful, saying, yeah, this is, this is what human beings do. Human beings fall into sin. We all do it. We've all done it. As I said, s- stop thinking about the one that's hurt you. Think about how you've hurt other people. We've all done this. We have to be alert and be honest and confess our sins to others and ask for help and lean on God's word and lean on his forgiveness. We all need healing. I had a pastor that mentored me for many years. He's, he passed away a couple of years ago, but he was the founding pastor at the church in Temple that sent our church out. His name was Gary, um, and he's just a very strong, outgoing, gregarious, type A person, right? Faithful, godly, about 15 years, 20 years older than me. And I remember realizing in some conversation we had that he was scared, alert. He was aware that he could fall into sin at any moment. And as a young man, that kind of surprised me. I was like, well, no, you've, you've like arrived, right? Like you've been married for a long time. You've been walking with Jesus for a long time. Why, why are you worried about this? He's like, anybody can fall into sin. 
Like the way to not fall into sin is to trust Jesus and be scared of falling into sin, right? Have a, a sense of alertness. But faithfulness is not accidental. And that really impacted me. Thankfully, he, he finished the race well in faithfulness. That's because other people were praying for him. He was praying for himself. He was being careful. He was tethering himself to God's word. That's what God is inviting us to do here as well. So he's given us the warning. We have to be real that there's something scary happening here. One of the ways that we can protect ourselves is being realistic about it and saying, oh, there's this, this horror movie taking place here, right? There's this terrible death, this slaughter that's taking place. And so he goes on in verse 24. Now, sons, listen to me. Be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Don't stray into her paths, for many a victim is laid low, and all are slain or a mighty throng. Her slain. She's killed a lot. Her house is the way to Sheol. This is the, the realm of the dead in Hebrew. Going down to the chambers of death. It's a real warning. I believe, and our, our ministry is built on the grace of God as the most persuasive, sweetest, most beautiful, most motivating thing in our lives. But one of the gifts of his grace is to say, this will hurt you. And so when the scripture does that, points that out, we have to pay attention to it as well. This will hurt you. So we want to keep running back to the grace of God, but we also want to look at the horror movies that he tells us to look at. Like, oh, this is not going to end well for me. We're a romance movie society, right? The romance movie teaches the theology of if you know just the right person, that will magically transform you into someone who wakes up without having bad breath, right? Like that's the good news of the romance movie. If it's the right person, everything will just work out. No, you have to work at it. You have to forgive each other. You have to fight to love each other well. Faithfulness is not accidental. And it helps us to look at the horror movies sometimes and say, man, sometimes things go really badly because of external issues, but also often because of my own sin and stupidity. And we have to be aware. We have to be afraid at some level. Now, sons, listen to me. Be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. One of the basic things that we lead people to here is joining a group, getting involved in a group where you can look at the scriptures together and pray for each other. Confess your sins one to another. Pray for each other that you may be healed, James 5. Celebrate Recovery has the same model uh, Celebrate Recovery is, is focused on particular habits and hang-ups and hurts that might be tripping you up, but it's the same model as all of our small groups. All of them are built on this idea that we're going to read the Bible together, we're going to confess our own shortcomings and pray for each other and try to walk in obedience because Jesus loves us and he's our only hope. We really want to encourage you to get into a relationship like that with some other people. Um, you could just call a friend. You might have a Christian buddy at work. You can say, hey, let's just meet 30 minutes early and, and read a scripture and pray for each other. It could be that simple. Or you could join one of the groups that we have already. I think also one of the great ways to grow in your understanding and your love of God's word and be purposeful about it is serving on a team. We talk about that a lot as well. That's really grabbed hold of me over the years as I've had to teach others. I mean, think about this. It's one thing to read God's word and, and try to grapple with it for yourself, you know, alone in your prayer closet but then to teach some eight-year-olds God's word, they're like, oh man, I better study this some more because I don't understand it well enough to talk about it. And that's been a blessing in my life. Just teaching it has helped me love it more and learn it more and pray more and wrestle with it. Um, 
we talked about some of these applications earlier, spiritual practices where we would pray God's word and sing God's word and meditate on God's word. Another one I want to add is fasting. Fasting is an ancient practice. We're not as familiar with it in our culture, but it's really needed. And we see more and more of how addictive cycles are kind of learned from the eating world as well as the um, sin world, but also the screens that we use. You know, we carry these screens around with us all the time. You have to practice on purpose to put them aside and not get sucked into them all the time. And so fasting is a great way to lay things aside temporarily. You're not saying, I'm going to be holy by never enjoying anything again. That's not what fasting means. Fasting means I'm going to go without for a while to remind myself that Jesus is enough. It's an exercise. He expects us to live in this world with food and screens and everything else. So you have to learn how to live with them But fasting are these temporary times where we put it aside for a day or two and say, I'm going to go without and pray and remember that Jesus loves me. Isaiah, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, says, serve others while you're fasting. You're going to get like all hangry and annoyed, right? Serve other people. Do something as a positive outlet. Pray, serve, do something with your time. These are ways that we can be aware, be alert, and not think that faithfulness is accidental, but be purposeful about it. Well, we'll wrap up here. The, the big idea is the drama of faithfulness. The whole Bible is about the drama of faithfulness. Hosea, particularly this prophecy, it's about the drama of faithfulness. God says, hey, I want this prophet to live it out, live out what I've lived out as a God to an unfaithful people. And I want us to settle on Jesus. The, the faithfulness of Jesus is what ties all this together. It was prophesied, it was, it was foreshadowed with Hosea, but it's only really fully realized in Jesus, who even though we abandoned him, came after us in love, took our sin, gives us his resurrection life, says to you and to me, I love you. I delight in you. I've given myself for you. Ephesians chapter 5 talks a lot about marriage. Now, again, I don't know if I, I said this earlier. I forget what I say at 9 and 11. Faithfulness is something that can be lived out in marriage, but it's also something we live out in our business relationships, in our single friendships, in our work relationships. Faithfulness matters everywhere. But marriage has this particular platform that God has given us. It's the building block of human society, and so it becomes emblematic. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5 that a marriage where a husband sacrificially loves his wife and a wife unconditionally respects her husband, that's supernatural. And that points the world to this mystery of the gospel itself. That moves beyond a human relationship to the supernatural realm, this mystery of Christ and the church. Paul spends a lot of time in the book of Ephesians laying out the sovereign, unbelievably good grace of God that he's blessed us with in Christ. And in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, because of his grace to you, be imitators of God as his dearly beloved children. As we look to the faithfulness of God, as we look to the grace of God, and we begin to try to imitate him like little kids, taking little toddler steps of grace, then we will glorify him. Then we will begin to live out the drama of faithfulness in our own lives. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you love us. You've invited us into relationship with you because you love us. You say in Deuteronomy 7, I haven't loved you because you're so lovely, because you're so powerful, because you're so great. I've loved you because I love you. 
you've chosen to set your affections on us in Christ. And so we thank you for that. Thank you for the gift of your gracious, steadfast faithfulness. And we pray that that would lead to a gracious drama in our own lives, that we would forgive others, we would love others, we would be faithful in the relationships you've placed us in. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.